Very cool. Thank you, guys. See what we'd be missing if Kyle hadn't followed his calling by God? We'd miss that. Seriously. What other church has that on a Sunday morning? Come on. Seriously. And for those of you who may have, have children in, in Adventure Canyon and, or maybe preschoolers, guess what your preschoolers would be missing if Chris went to said yes to God? <laughs> or Mark. Mark's, Mark plays a role in a lot of areas of our church and leads in Crash Course and in his small group and in our new, uh, new Decay 2 tent. I mean, what would, what would our church be like if Mark would have, meh, I'm not going to follow God's call for me to do. And today, uh, this message is titled, You Could Be Next to Get Rattled. And I don't know about you, but I have been rattled before by God. And it's not very fun when God says, I want you to do this. And you're like, oh, totally scared. And some of you may have been nudged by God or called by God or someone asks you to do something and then you go home and pray about it. You say, I'll go home and pray about it. You know, they ask you, can you help with this? And you go, I'll go home and pray about it. And then you, I don't really want to pray about it. I don't want God to tell me what, it's gonna, what I'm going to do. And today as we're talking about that, it, does, it should rattle us to the core whenever God says, I want you to do this. Because he ain't going to ask us to do something uh, that's not going to be scary. It's going to be scary. It's going to be fearful sometimes. So my question to you is this, and I, I want you to write down the answer on your program. If you've got a program, if you don't, write it on your coffee cup. If you don't have a coffee cup or a program, write it on one of those blue slips. And if you don't have any of that, just think about it, okay? But here's my question for you today. Has there ever been a time recently that God has called you to do something? And if so, what has He called you to do? So just write that down, okay? What has He called you to do? Some of you may be here today and you're just checking out God and you're kind of new to this Jesus thing and all this stuff and, you, and everything. You might go, oh, God's never called me to do anything or anything like that. For you, what I want you to do is just, as, as we go through this message today, I want you to just... Think about maybe, what is it? Or just ask God. Just pray. Just simple prayer. Hey, God, what, what are you calling me to do if you're unsure? We're going to jump into this, uh, into the book of Exodus, starting with chapter 3. And there was a guy in this, in this book we hear about. His name is Moses. And how many of you have ever seen the Ten Commandments? You know, Charlton Heston, Okay. All right, all you old people. Okay, just kidding. All right, young people like me have seen it too. Okay, but do you remember the scene in uh, the Ten Commandments? This, you like my, this is Moses' rod, by the way. You like it? Okay, my daughter bought this for me when I wasn't walking very well, and she bought this cane at the zoo for me, and I love it. So I thought, I'll take it with today. So you'll never forget, Mr. Kitty is the rod of it, Moses today. Okay. But do you remember this scene uh, where Moses is standing there at the Red Sea? The Egyptians are coming down, you know, and dramatic music and all that stuff. And he stands up and he, go, he lifts up his rod and he goes, Behold the mighty hand of God! Right? And the Red Sea goes, right? Now the producer asked me today if I was going to part the red chairs. But I, they're already parted because I did that before service, so... You guys could, you know, okay. But do you remember that? Like, oh, boy, this guy is mighty. This guy is awesome. This guy is like, 
Oh, he must be in touch with God. Behold the mighty hand of God. You know, it's really dramatic too. And, uh, but if we go back to where Moses first encountered God, it was pretty dramatic, but Moses really wasn't into this following God thing. Moses was living on the Sinai Peninsula, which is this little piece of land between Egypt and uh, up north is Israel and to the south uh, east is Saudi Arabia. So he's living here. And there's this mountain range there. And, and we come upon Moses at this time. It says he's at Mount Horeb. But as I was studying and reminding myself, Mount Horeb was probably the same place as Mount Sinai. And if you, if you remember, Mount Sinai is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. So he's actually living out here. But he's only in the shadow of God. He's living in God's shadow. The shadow of this mountain. And he's a shepherd. That's why he has a stick. He carries a stick with him. He's a shepherd. And he's watching his father-in-law's sheep. And one of the things that we don't really think about a lot, Moses is 80 years old. Okay? Now if I'm 80 years old, he's watching his father-in-law's sheep. Good job, you know, working for the father-in-law. 80 years old, ready for retirement. You know, just hanging out with the sheep in the shadow of God's mountain there. And he looks over and he sees something. So let's jump into Exodus chapter 3. I want to read this for you. Starting with verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire, From within a bush, Moses saw the bush, uh, saw that the bush, though it was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? Then the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. God called out to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. I don't know if he said it that loud or whatever. Moses, maybe, I don't know. And God said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. And then in verse 10, let's jump down to verse 10. So now, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. God said, I will be with you and I will, make, I will be the sign to you and that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship at this mountain. Okay, just, just imagine you're Moses here, right? You're all there minding your own business out in the wilderness with your sheep and all of a sudden this burning bush shows up. And God talks to you through it. And 
I can just imagine how Moses felt. He was probably very scared. He obviously hit his face. He put his face on the ground. And God says, I've chosen you, Moses. I've chosen you to lead my people out of slavery. You're the guy. You're it. Nobody else. It's, it's you. And my favorite part of the story is Moses begins to argue with God. Does he think he's going to win this thing? Seriously. He begins to argue with God, and, and he makes five arguments. And these may be the same five arguments that we use when God says, hey, I want you to do this. Or someone says, hey, come on. I want you to join this ministry. It's going to be great. You're going to influence kids. You're going to influence kids. You're going to influence adults. You're going to, you're going to influence uh, a whole church. Maybe. So, uh, in verse 11... Moses says, chapter 3, verse 11, Moses says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Basically, he's saying, I'm insignificant. You can write that down. I'm insignificant. Don't you feel better about yourself that you came to church and found out you're insignificant? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Moses is saying... Who am I? Seriously. Who am I that, that I, I can, I don't, I don't have what, anything to give. Who am I? I'm nothing. I'm a shepherd. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows where I am. I'm just out here with my sheep. Who am I? And then look at the answer God gives. He doesn't say, well, you are a great and bold and mighty man, does he? Uh, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God said, I will be with you. That's His answer. God's answer is, I will be with you. Wait, no, that's not the, that's not the question I asked. I asked, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. Now, if God says He will be with him, don't you think that would be enough for Moses? But it's not enough for Moses. And he says, I'll be with you. I'm the, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then in verse, in verse 13, Moses says, uh, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers who has sent, has sent you, me to you. And they ask, well, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Who are you? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are saying to the Israelites. I am has sent you. I always thought that was the funniest thing about God. Who are you? I just am. I am what I am. Just tell them. I am sent you. I mean, people would think you were crazy. Yeah, I am sent, you, sent me to you. But here's Moses. He's like, who are you? Seriously, like, wait a minute. He's talking to God. He's like, who are you? And see, Moses really didn't know God very well. He, he it wasn't his shadow. His father-in-law was the priest of Midian. He kind of knew who God was, and, and he might even prayed and all that stuff. But he didn't really know who God was. He had never experienced God's power. He had never seen God's power move. And so he says, who, who should I tell them? Sent me. I am 
who I am. God says, I am complete. And I send you. And then in chapter 4, Moses asks again. So now he said, who am I? I, I'm no good. And who are you that I should follow you? And then in chapter 4, Moses answered, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me when I say, the Lord has appeared to you? Then the Lord says, what's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Okay, let's stop there. God says, what's that in your hand? A staff. What's a staff? It's just a, a stick. It's a walking stick. You know, you could also beat off you know, wild animals if they're trying to get your uh, flock or whatever. What's that in your hand? It's a stick. Okay. Again, God, Moses has the question, what if they don't believe me? And God gives him a simple answer, what's that in your hand? Does that even make any sense? He says, what's that in your hand? Moses says it's a staff. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is that they may believe the Lord, the God and Father, God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So, what's that in your hand, Moses? It's a stick. We'll throw it on the ground. And it becomes a snake. Now, Brad Olson is completely afraid of snakes, so don't bring snakes around him. But becomes a snake. If that became a snake right now, I would run too. And Moses ran. ran. He's like, ah! It's a snake! And then he's, God tells him to pick it up and turns back into a staff. Turns back into a staff. And God, he doesn't make any sense sometimes. He goes, so this is what I'm going to use. I'm going to use your stick. I'm going to use what you have in your hand. I'm going to use your stick. And that's going to show the power of God to the people. So here's what God's answer is. God's answer is, what's that in your hand? What do you have? What tools do you have? What, what do you have available to you? What, what are your skills? I'll take those skills and I'll use them for my power. You know what Moses did with that staff? Yeah, he raised it up. And the, and the Red Sea parted. When the Israelites were thirsty... God said, strike that rock and water will come out. He hit that rock and water came out. Before Pharaoh would let the people go, Moses touched his rod to the Nile River and it, it turned to blood. With a stick. That's all Moses had was a stick. And God said, what's that in your hand? What's in your, what, I, what you have in your hand, that's all I'm going to use, Moses. That's all I'm going to use. You know, his question is, what if they don't believe me? And for us, even for us, like when, when God calls us and we go, well, what, if, you know, what if he calls me to do something? What if they don't believe me that I'm called by God? What if the people I go and talk to about Jesus, 
What if they don't believe me? And what we learn as we go through the Bible is you get to Jesus, and guess what happened when Jesus spoke? They didn't believe him. Did they? Most of the people didn't believe him. Didn't believe a word he said. He was Jesus, the Son of God, speaking the words of God. He was the Word of God standing in front of them in the flesh. Did they believe Jesus? No. And then the disciples, when he gathered them up and he said, Okay, now I'm going to send you into all the world to preach the gospel and make disciples. And guess what? You're going to go into some towns and they ain't going to believe you. They're not going to believe you. But you still go. Moses, there may be some people who won't believe you. The Israelite leaders, some of them, they won't believe you. And Pharaoh, he definitely won't believe you. But guess what? You need to go anyway and do it. You know, it would be nice that if we were a follower of Jesus, if God would just give us kind of a magic stick, you know, that we could just throw on the ground and it turns into a snake and we go, see, isn't that cool? It's the mighty hand of God. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, that would be cool to have a magic stick. But we don't get magic sticks and this thing won't turn into a snake. You know, so we're like, what's, that, what's in our hand? You know, the interesting thing, as you look in the end of the New Testament, the life of Apostle Paul, and there's a few th- times it's recorded that he prayed for people and they were healed and stuff, but, but the sign of God, the sign of the power of God for the Apostle Paul was his changed life. What he offered in his hand, he said, I, was, I once was. I once was a murderer. I once persecuted the church. I once hated Jesus. I once was, but now I'm this. I've changed. And what we can offer to the world, if we're a believer in Christ, what we offer to the world is our changed life. I once was this, but now I am this. What's that in your hand? So now God says, I'll be with you. I'll show my power. I give you a magic stick. All these things. I'll show my power through this. And then... In verse, chapter 4, verse 13, Moses argues again. And he says, but Moses said, oh wait, verse 10, I'm sorry. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since uh, you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to them, to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes man deaf or mute? Who gave him sight or made him blind? Is it not the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and teach you what to say. So here Moses says, I'm unable. I'm unable. I'm slow to speech. I can't speak. And I don't know, we don't know what Moses meant by that. Interesting thing was he grew up in a palace as a, as a prince in Egypt. I bet he knew how to speak. I bet he just didn't want to speak. Oh God, I'm not eloquent. I'm not one of those fancy smashy preacher guys, you know, who can say things really smooth. I, I just, that's not me. I, I'm not able to do it. 
I know you said you'd be with me and that you're the God of the universe and all that stuff, but, you know, you just didn't give me enough skills to do this, so I guess can't do it. And what does God say? Okay, I'll teach you what to say, and I'll tell you what to say. You just say it. That's all you got to do is obey. That's all you got to do. And then in verse 13, which is the best, the final argument of Moses is, he says, but Moses said, Oh Lord, please send someone else. Okay? Uh, please send somebody else. Send someone else to do my calling. I don't want to do that. You know, it's kind of scary. I got to go talk to Pharaoh. I got to go convince the people of Israel that I'm, I'm their leader. I don't want to do that. Moses did not want to fulfill the call. And so he says, please send someone else. So what does God do? This is, what's God's answer? In verse 14, it says, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. So now God's mad. He's already in a flaming bush and he's got this booming voice and now he's mad. You don't want to make God mad. Verse 14, Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak, and you will teach what, and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people uh, for you, and it will be as if your mouth, as if he was your mouth, and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform miracles and signs with it. So God says, okay, you got me. I can't do it alone. I can't do it. Please, please, God, send somebody else to do it. And God says, okay, last time. I'll even give you a helper. Now, I'm going to teach you what to say. You're going to whisper it in Aaron's ears and let Aaron speak it. Because my word's going to get out one way or another. And so, you know, here Moses is saying, I'm unwilling. I know I'm unwilling to do what you're asking me to do. Here's the deal. God's calling you to do something. He's calling you to do something. And it's not the person next to you that's supposed to fulfill that. And you may say, God, I don't want to. I'm scared. I'm fearful. All this stuff. No. It's you. And when God calls you to do something, guess who's supposed to do that? You. And you know what? If you don't do it, it don't get done. Your mission in life, your calling by God, will not ever be accomplished through someone else. Ever. Think about that. So if if Chris didn't go to that preschool class, those conversations Chris has had and those times of moments that Chris has had through these four years in Adventure Canyon, speaking into the lives of these little boys and girls, nobody else could have said the words Chris did. Nobody else could have been Chris because there's only one Chris. Now, someone else could have been in that class and filled a spot, but 
God called him to do that, and he obeyed, and he did. And so what is it for you? What is it for you? As we move on in our service today, I have a special friend that's here with me today, and somebody who is part of K2, the church, his name is Chad B. We call him Chad B. Anyone know Chad B? And we call him Chad B because his last name is Bronner's Rither. That's really hard. Yeah, yeah, okay, close enough. All right, see, I even I, that's why I call him B, because I can't pronounce it. And Chad uh, came to Christ through K2, and he was part of many ministries here. He led small groups and did all kinds of men's ministries and all kinds of things, mentored a lot of people and things. And God had a special calling on his life. And, and God said, I want you to go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to the inner city, and work with Urban Impact. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But how I want to find out how he got from there, from here, to Pittsburgh this morning. But before we do that, I just want to show you a little clip of what Urban Impact is doing in the middle of North Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Let's take a look at this. A lot of our kids just lack opportunities. That's what poverty is. They lack the options. The options to to go get a decent job, to get a decent education, to have mom and dad at home. I mean, that, that, that's just missing in their lives. At Urban Impact, we use athletics as kind of the front line of our ministry and where we, um, we engage with youth who may never be part of a church, may never be part of any Christian organization, um, but, but most kids on the north side of Pittsburgh, they love to play sports. And so they're willing to come out and hear a message about Jesus if you, if you have a basketball or a football if we can, through the performing arts, bring them into a venue where they can succeed and that they can experience what it means to make it in something and really not just make it on a level of I passed, but they can actually excel. They can actually be A plus, all in the parameters of knowing Jesus Christ and having him be the driving force of that success. The kids who come to camp are in first grade through twelfth grade. And we have basically four camps inside the summer day camp program. The early elementary kids are grades one through three, and we plan everything for them. Their day is very organized. They move at a, a slower pace. But then when they get to middle school, they begin to have options. They choose skills and projects, so they basically plan how they'll spend their afternoon. And then when they get to high school, we have the work program, you know, helping them think through college and career plans and what they might want to do when they, after they graduate. But everybody's schedule in the morning is the same. Everyone comes in, we have breakfast, they have Christian ed, they do math, and they do reading. So one of the goals in the camp is that kids will not regress in math and reading during the summer. As we feed into the lives of the young people here and tell them, you need to step up and fill these spaces, they need to be equipped in doing that. Like if they don't have leaders already in their life, we have to provide them with the leadership and the tools by which they can grow into these leaders and be transforming agents within their community. We've put on more programs and more opportunities and more options in the last three years 
than we've ever done in, in the history of Urban Impact Foundation. And we as the body of Christ need to do whatever it takes to get them to that place where the gospel of Jesus Christ can go into that neighborhood and lives can be changed. this neighborhood, one person, one family, one block at a time. All right, let's give it up for Chad B. Um, so Chad, you're just minding your own business here in Salt Lake City, part of K2 The Church and all that stuff. What were you doing? What was your job? I was selling loans um, for a for a mortgage company, basically selling credit card loans. Loans, I'm selling loans. You're selling loans. Wow, sounds like a pretty dangerous job. It was. Yeah. Were you in the inner city of Sugar House there? <laughs> <laughs> brickyard is a rough. Area. A brickyard is a rough area. Yeah. So you're selling loans in in Salt Lake City, and um, so what are you doing now? What 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 are you doing now in uh, Pittsburgh? Well, now um, I'm working with the inner city kids in Pittsburgh, and um, I work with something that I've never dealt with before. Most um, I deal with high school students; they're 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 my almost my children now, and I I, I work with them through athletics. Um, we have basketball teams, outreach teams, and then um, we have smaller teams um, where we disciple them, and these kids kind of become like. There's my team right there, and um, they've become my young men, and I, I mentor them in, in different areas of life, as simple as taking them to a restaurant they'd never have gone to, to, um, to maybe, we have Bible studies that we have with them, and, or it may be as simple as um, just giving them a ride home and, and, and having a conversation with them. Cool. We can, go back, can we go back two pictures there for a second? Um, Back with the picture of Jeff Harding. There we go. So Jeff, or that one of Jeff Harding, either one. Um, so that's Jeff there uh, coaching these boys. Jeff is a Pittsburgh Steeler and actually won a Super Bowl with the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Yes, he did. And if, if most of you guys remember, Jeff Harding was a member of K2, part of the um, church plant that, uh, that became of, of um, that became K2. Yeah, and uh, actually, just first time we had a. Uh, if you these are old names I've thrown out, but Dominic Morelli um, just sent us some pictures the other day of our. Uh, we had a, a meeting up at Mill Creek, and it was the picture of Jeff and I met, and you know it sounds like a guy and a girl love story, but it's not. <laughs> but we became best friends from that point on, and and um, he's um, of course he's very connected in Pittsburgh. He was. If you hear his story, he was running away from Pittsburgh and because of, as a Steeler, it, it's like a Utah Jazz here, even probably times 10, I wouldn't say times 100, but times 10, if you're a Steeler in Pittsburgh, everybody wants a piece of you and wants to do so. So he had a voice in the community, and um, so he, he had God's call first to go out there, and, and um, that was the beginning. And we always talked about doing ministry together. And that was one thing that um, I'd always said. But he moved to Pittsburgh. So, you know, I thought that was the end of my story at that point. 
Yeah. Because I wasn't in Pittsburgh. What's yeah. That? It's, it's You're going to do ministry together, but here in yeah, Salt Lake. Yeah, in Salt Lake. We're, right. We're, yeah. It's a nice, you know, nice. Area. Well, we might go to Midvale. That might be about the roughest area. <laughs> so how did you get from Salt Lake selling loans to the inner city of North Pittsburgh mentoring teens? How did you get there? I'll tell you what. It, it started out um, quite a few years ago when I asked, Dave Nelson gave us, gave a talk about giving your life to Christ. And I said, well, what does that really mean? You know, I come to church. Um, you know, I got a couple small groups. And, and he said, you need to ask God what he's got for your life. And, and so I, that was a, kind of a start for me. And then I met Jeff, and, and here's a guy who's retiring, and he wants to live his, his life for Christ. So I've got this friend who, that's all we're talking about. So we're talking about that, we're exploring that. He moves away, and... Um, we stay in touch, and he calls me at one point. He says, Chad, I need help. Isn't that an ugly orange shirt? Anyways, he says, Chad, I, I, I need some help. And I go, well, I'll come help you out. I, you know, I talked a little bit too quickly, and that was in January. And as time went by, I went to go see him in, in late February, and he says, well, have you been praying about it? And, of course, I lied to him said, yeah, yeah, Jeff, I have been praying about it, but I haven't got an answer from God yet. And... And I, I thought, I, you know, I was, I was running away. I was afraid of that, you know, because I did, we did say that we were going to do ministry together. It wasn't going to happen. But see, it wasn't happening the way I wanted it to happen, you see. I, this Moses story really connects with me because I was going to do something. I wanted to go see that flaming bush, but I wanted to do it under my terms. And so all of a sudden, this Pittsburgh thing, well, that's not under my terms. I, I loved it here in Salt Lake. I loved you guys, and you guys who know me, um... We had a great time together out here. Why would I leave that? I mean, my best friend was uh, out here was Mark Howe, who was one of the best cooks out there, and he fed me well, obviously. So, anyways, back to this. Back to this. So, I go in and talking to Jeff, and or or I get I come back to Salt Lake. He gave me a book to read, um, "Barbarian Way" by by Erwin McManus, and that got me thinking outside the box a little bit. I got very interested in Second Samuel, where it talks about Saul and um, excuse me, talks about Jonathan and Jonathan's armor bearer, and that really spoke to me um, to be the armor bearer. And so time went on, and so that that was another thing that went to me. I went and I, I had a, um, a a little small group that I that I did every Thursday morning, and I and these were guys who kept me. You know, we we talk about life, and they would keep me accountable. Um, Kyle Kugler um, was one of those men. I remember going and telling him about this. And I'm, these are my friends and people who I thought would say, you know, Chad, you're doing a pretty good job out here. Yeah, you shouldn't go to Pittsburgh. And they're like, um, Chad, no, you need to go to Pittsburgh. That is the right. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And then I finally thought, you know what, I keep telling Jeff I'll pray about it. So I actually figured, you know, I, because I was, I was getting to the point where I was going to go, even though all this is happening, I'm saying, I'm not moving to Pittsburgh. It's not happening. But I thought, you know, I'd better be truthful with my friend. And so I did pray about it. And I got on my knees and, and I said, Lord, you're going to have to show me signs. And that was on a Friday morning. By that night, I got a phone call and a sign. And um, totally changed my life. But I'm just a little bit stubborn. And I said, God, 
Sorry, you got to show me again because I'm not leaving Salt Lake. Monday morning, uh, um, another clear sign. Um, and uh, well, okay, that's it. Everything, everything happened. So that's what, that's that's what happened. Mm-hmm. I was on my way to Pittsburgh. You're on your way to Pittsburgh. So when you get to Pittsburgh, you you run into these teenagers that you're that are part of Urban Impact. You're you're mentoring these these teenage boys who really they don't have fathers. They don't have men of significance in their life at all. Um, you're this white bread suburban California kid that's via Salt Lake City, and you're out there in the middle of, and all of a sudden you're building a relationship with these guys, right? And so, so tell me about the night they wanted to hang out with you. Well, there's, um, I'm thinking of one particular. Okay. Um, and this is this is the time that they we we'd have the, our first basketball team. They gave us 15 kids. Said here, go do something. Go. That wasn't quite as like that. But here's a here's a team. Would go mentor them. And 14 kids I don't know, they're all, um, you know, pretty decent athletes. You're just high school kids. And um, we're, we're playing we're basketball, playing that, and the season's over, and they're off playing high school basketball now, so I've got some other kids who I'm spending time with. But I, we, we, I, I struck a chord with these kids um, that I had, and so we're staying in touch, you know, phone calls and texts and all that kind of stuff. And so... They said, Tad, we want to go do something. And I said, okay, great. We'll go do something on a Saturday. And so they said, uh, so we said, well, what are we going to do? And I, they said, well, let's go to the movies. And I'm like going, that's not doing something, sitting in a dark room with you. They said, well, let's go to the mall. And I'm thinking, you know, like I said, these are high school boys. And I'm thinking, yeah, I take them to a mall and they're going to be, I'm going to be sitting in the food cart while they're checking out the ladies, really. So I go, that's not me spending time with them. I said, well, let's take a road trip. So we were thinking... I'm on the East Coast, you know, so I've got this whole oyster of the East Coast to explore. And I'm thinking, well, let's go to Cleveland, Columbus. Let's go to Niagara Falls. And finally, we said, let's, I said, let's go get some cheesesteaks in Philadelphia. Because I figured that's a long enough drive. Little did I know it was 300 miles. <laughs> but So we got in the car, there's four of us, and we flew up our, my CDs. They got, um, there's, there's five of us in the car. We got um, four rap CDs. Of course, um, we had my CD, probably uh, Peter Gable, maybe. And then I had a Bible CD, and I said, and I said, okay, we'll listen to all your rap CDs, but you have to listen to my music, and then we have to listen to my Bible CD. So that was agreeable. Well, we get into it, two rap CDs, and I turned the radio off. I said, that's, that's it, we're not doing this. <laughs> and um, I said, well, this is going to be a Bronner Schreider road trip, Bronner Schreider family. I grew up there as eight kids in my family, and so we have these road trips. And I said, we're going to sit there, we're going to, you know, I'm not going to make you sing songs, but we're going to we're going to play some games. So... I start playing a game, doesn't go well. Then I do 20 questions with them. And um, for whatever reason, I pick Tupac Shakur on 20 questions. So about 100 questions later, they get it, <laughs> that it's Tupac Shakur. But you've got to understand, these kids had no idea of objective thinking. They're high school students. They've never done this before. They're not in households where they're talking all the time. There's no con- The words they use is so much less. And there's also all sorts of sociological things about that. But we, we have the strip, and by the end of the trip, we're, um, we're playing 20 questions over and over. So we spend, um, minus the first two hours in the car, we, we spend, I, I bet, a good eight hours playing 20 questions. <laughs> and then from that point on, they get in the car, and all of a sudden, tone my face, Dad, who am I thinking about? And <laughs> boom, we'd start, and that was our thing. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. So you're you're getting into their lives, you know, one one person at a time, one kid at a time. Um, and then you told me another story about Jamel and how uh, you guys were driving on a bridge one night. Yeah. So talk about that. Where were we coming from and where were we going? And okay, we were. Um, you know, there's different. Um, there's three things I like to do with these kids that I always keep in mind. Number number one is that um, they need to be fed. You know, so I always keep fed. They, they, the one meal they may have may be with me. So we always feed them in our programs. The other, the other thing is I want to have conversation with them that is uplifting conversation. In other words, I've got to be an ambassador. of. I feel like I'm an ambassador of Christ. And I, I listened to a sermon by David um, not too long ago. Yeah, a couple weeks, a couple weeks ago. And, and, and boy, that, that really hit home because I have to be, that's constantly what I have to keep my guard up to be an ambassador of Christ. And then the third thing that I do is, is that, um, let me see, I do that, I do that. And um, there's one other thing I'm doing, but I'll remember it in a second. Because I want to keep your word. What's that? I gotta, you got to keep your word. So if you tell them you're going to do something, you better do that. Otherwise, don't promise. Because these guys have been lied to, especially by the men of their life. They have been lied to and lied to and lied to and lied to, and they lied to again, and then lied to again. So um, one thing I do is I do not make a promise I, I can't keep. And I've been, you know, so far so good. So I'm, I'm driving with Jamel. We're, we're at, um, actually at dinner with the Steelers that night, and we're all done, and he helped help us serve. And that's Jamel right there. That's the hood. That's one of the projects that he, that he lives in. And we're driving home, and we go, we go across this long bridge. It's December 8th. It's a, it, the, the, the weather's in the teens, about 8 degrees, uh, not in single digits, about 8 degrees if I remember correctly. And we're going across this bridge, and there's this lady, and she doesn't have a jacket on, going across, walking across the bridge. And, and as I go, I go, hey, do you need a ride? And she goes, no. And um, I go, and I go, no, she needs a ride, doesn't she? She goes, yeah, she does. They turn around. And I go, Jamel. You're going to have to ask her because they don't necessarily want to ask and do that. You know, they, they they're not really. They've never learned to do things um, Samar- to be a good Samaritan. It's just not in their. In their it's a new thing to them. Because they give these to kids that I've been around. With. I said, Jamel, you're going to have to do this. She's on your side. You're going to have to talk to her. We pull. We we, we go down the bridge about a um, quarter of a mile. Turn right back around, and I go, Jamel, ask her. And he looks at her and he goes, You. You need a ride, and she looks at us. She goes, "Are you going to kill us? Or are you going to kill me?" And that's the environment these folks live on, and that's a real thing on that bridge for her to have that concern in that area. And if this is midnight, also on our night. And he goes, "No, man, we're cool." So she gets in the car. I drop the mail off. She actually lives another three miles um, away. When if you know Pittsburgh at all, it's very hilly, and so it would have been you know good um, at least a good hour hour and a half or more in that cold weather that she would have gotten home. I drop her off. I get a phone call from Jamel, and he goes, he goes, we, we did a godly thing tonight, didn't we? So, yeah, we did. And um, you just him recognizing that he can be a, a man of God to um, serve others. Um, was just another, another reason why I'm in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And I'm lucky I get to see this stuff all the time. Yeah. So what would happen if you hadn't followed your call of God to Pittsburgh? For these, this small group of young men even, 
What would what what would have been their fate if if you had not intervened into their lives? What would have happened? Um, they were. I've got several kids going to Penn State right now, and they wouldn't be going. Jeff, some of you met him last year. Um, going out to Penn State in Kensington. Tone wouldn't be going. They wouldn't. Um, they go to church weekly. I don't know what would have. Well, I know what would have happened. It's the same thing that happens to these kids. They'd have gotten real pregnant. The girl to get subsidies and aid because she needs it would have had to go down, and they would have had to report to father, which would probably be one of these guys. And you know. God willing, um, hopefully it won't happen. But they'll go get aid. Well, what happens is they go get a, uh, a you know, a minimum wage job because you know they they want to take care of the kid. But what happens is the um, rightfully so the state's going to take the money from them, so they're only getting a, a, a very small paycheck. They can't live, they can't survive on that. Neither can the um, and of course, the, you know the, the wife is on, or the the girl, the baby mama, which is what they call them out there, doesn't um, can't you know is on very little state support. So the, what these guys do is they decide they need to make some money, and the only way to make money out there, real money, if you don't have an education or any training, or um, is to uh, is in the streets. And um, the job job opportunities on the streets are. Um, the job opportunities they make movies about, you know, they're selling drugs. And that's, that's what happens. So instead of these young men doing all that, getting into trouble, and going into a life of crime, they're, they're heading out to Penn State and other colleges, right? Yeah, this kid right here, Boosie, I can tell you a year ago, had no, was not going to, was, I don't know what was going I, I was scared. He was one of the kids I was scared about. He's a great kid. You see his smile. He's funny. He's great to be around. But I had no idea. But but he's going to Penn State. Wow. Well, thank you, Chad, for being here today. And I just I just want to say, man, I love you. Pray for you all the time. Um, I mean, what you are doing in Pittsburgh is exactly what God wants you to do. <laughs> and because you did that, because you said, all right, I'm giving up my job of selling loans, the dangerous job going into the inner city where people get shot you hear gunfire you know there's uh, drugs people are selling drugs on the street dangerous area but that's where God called you to so let me ask you one more question before we go do you regret giving up your loan selling job in Salt Lake and going to Pittsburgh I love you guys I appreciate you more than you to say but I've won. I feel like I've won the lottery, hmm. um, and that's that's how I describe that. I, I I don't regret it. Um, I've never had a night's sleep where you put your head on on the pillow and you go, "What was I thinking?" I've never had that night in two years. Um, I left two years ago yesterday, and I, I've never put my head on the pillow and and, and had to have that thought. Wow! So praise God. All right. Well, let's give it up for Chad. Love you, buddy. Thanks, man. That was an awesome story, and as we, um, as the band comes up here in just a moment, um, I want to reflect on what 
what we talked about in Moses and then what Chad shared here a little bit today is what about you? What about me? What about us? Are we doing what God has called us to do? And if yes, then whoo! Then you're right in the middle of where God wants you to be. But maybe you think, I'm insignificant. (laughs) Really? God using me? uh, He must not know what I've been through or who I am. Yeah, He does. Or maybe you're thinking, who's God? I mean, I I don't really know God. I'm kind of ignorant about what He does. I I don't don't know the Bible that well. And God's saying, I want you to do this. And you're like, I don't know. Maybe you're fearful of what what, what might happen. Because if you say yes, you might end up in the inner city of Pittsburgh and be happy. Oh! You see how happy Chad was? That he actually followed God's will? Because he knew he's impacting lives. No, he's not living in a mansion, filthy rich, making money off real estate. Is anyone making money off real estate? No. He, uh, he's the happiest he's ever been because he's right in the center of God's will. And for you guys today, as you hear this song, um, it says, all I want to do is give my life to you. And if that's the case today, I just want you to think about and pray about that thing you wrote down. <laughs> Are you doing it? Are you going for it? Are you doing what God's asking you to do? So just think about that as you hear the words of this song.